But the reality is that God doesn't attack consumerism and materialism by being stingy with his gifts or restricting the number of them or by commanding his people to spend less on gifts and feasting. Rather, he lavishes his gifts upon you so that you will learn to be like him. What kinds of traditions do you have during Christmas? Whatever tradition you may have as a family... No tradition is greater than that of opening gifts on Christmas morning. Children awakening eager to see their gifts wrapped under the Christmas tree. But for those of us living in the wealthiest country in the history of mankind, have we gone too far? Do we focus so much on buying gifts that we become fanatic materialists? Should we, for instance, change our attitude about giving? Instead of spending millions of dollars on things that we may not need, sometimes unnecessary gifts, should we spend these millions of dollars on nobler causes like helping the poor or providing clean water for African nations who may not have it, and things along these lines? There is a group that believes we've gone too far, and that instead of buying gifts and spending hundreds of dollars with our own families, we fail to see the needs of others. In the end, has the Christmas season really become a season of stress, of traffic jams, and endless shopping lists? The Advent Conspiracy website, with their videos and book, believe that our spending does not reflect the Christmas spirit. Rather, as they would say, we should focus more of our resources on giving more. On this episode, we speak with pastor and author J. Stephen Wilkins. Steve Wilkins is the pastor of Auburn Avenue Presbyterian Church in Monroe, Louisiana, and he has written a few posts debating the thesis of the Advent Conspiracy. So on this episode, we decided to bring this issue to the forefront and have a frank conversation with Pastor Wilkins about Christmas. We all know that Christmas is a big commercial racket. It's run by a big Eastern syndicate, you know. We began by asking Pastor Wilkins about how he came into contact with those involved in the Advent Conspiracy Project. What happened, I think, is a bunch of people who follow Advent Conspiracy read... read, uh, a post and got upset about it and they contacted him and he called me and I haven't seen anything. I haven't read the books and I haven't read, um, all I've seen is the video they produced and that's what I was responding to. Um, um, and the fellow that called me who Tony Biagna, he, he said that I, uh, that I missed the point. So to be fair, he says that that's not what they intended. What I was, the way it hit me was not what they intended. Well, there there are a number of assertions made in that video that I would challenge. I'm, I'm not sure that they can be backed up, but passing over that, there, there's a great deal in the video that nobody can argue with. So they raised the issue, do many people spend more than they can afford on gifts, and do they sin by going into debt, unnecessary debt? And the answer is, yeah, sure, that happens. Do we have a problem with materialism in our culture? Yeah, we have a problem. Do we often think that money and things uh, can bring happiness and contentment? Sure. Do we fall into the trap of focusing more upon the hassle and expense of gift-giving than we do upon the privilege of having the far more valuable relationships that God has given us? And the answer is, yeah, sure we do. Do we spend more, should we spend more time together with loved ones and work on building our relationships and loving one another? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's... Everybody agrees with those things, and if that's all they wanted to say, there would be no point in making a video. There wouldn't be a point of going to the expense or the trouble to make a video. So I think that's obviously not the emphasis they're trying to make. That's not the point of the video. The question remains then, what, what's the message of the video? And if you've seen it, 
uh, I don't know how it hit you, but it hit me like uh, like this. Basically, the message was, well, we're spending $450 billion on Christmas when it would take only $10 billion to, sur- to solve the uh, world's water problems. And what's more important, is that unnecessary silly toy you gave to your boy more important than saving a boy's life? Is that ugly sweater that you're never going to wear more important than the water that won't make people sick? Is that stupid gift card that you're going to waste on all those electronic gadgets, is that is that more important than giving a cup of clean water? And the message just kept pounding you like that. So the emphasis was you could just with 2% of what you spend on these useless, stupid, unnecessary, mindless gifts, you could you could solve the world's problems. And so it's obvious that you're selfish, that you're some materialistic pig and you need to quit worrying about yourself and spending money on silly Christmas gifts. Um, you know, quit eating so much, you're too fat anyway. You know, I mean, that's the way it comes across. It's overstated. I realize it. Tony says that I misunderstood it. Okay. But in fact, that's the way it hits you. And the question is, and if you're tithing, if you're being generous with your wealth, is it wrong to spend your money on gifts and celebration? Should you feel guilty if you're doing that? Is it wrong to buy things that are already made, or should I try to make all my gifts? Now, see, that's a good question because uh, people think, oh, yeah, it means much more if you make something for me. Maybe it does if you're really good at making what you make. But if you're giving popsicle stick houses to people, uh, I'm not so sure that it wouldn't that they wouldn't appreciate something you bought from somebody that actually knows how to build something. That's far better. And what's wrong with helping? What's wrong with appreciating the gifts of others who actually know how to make things and are good at it, rather than you doing something that's that's not worth anything and uh, giving it as if that's more meaningful? I don't think it is. I think you're blessing other people when you buy things that are already made. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion, I think. But the the idea that you ought to give things that are needful or meaningful in some way, and that if you bought it off the shelf, it's not meaningful, I think that whole business ought to be challenged. But no, my son doesn't need the truck, he doesn't need a spaceship, and he doesn't need Xbox. Is it wrong to give it to him anyway? And the implication of the video is, yeah, it's wrong when you could use that same money and uh, keep uh, people from dying of thirst. But the reality is that God doesn't attack consumerism and materialism by being stingy with his gifts or restricting the number of them or by commanding his people to spend less on gifts and feasting. Rather, he lavishes his gifts upon you so that you will learn to be like him. We don't need to tolerate uh, materialism. We don't need to excuse it. We don't need to overlook greed or selfishness or any lack of generosity. We can condemn all that stuff with uh, no hesitation. But the best way to combat these sins is not to make people feel guilty about giving. I mean, imagine if, if I was Satan, one of the things I would love to do is to make Christians feel guilty about being generous. That's an incredible uh, strategy to think that that's a that's a good strategy make them feel guilty about being generous uh, to their friends and family that's not the way to deal with this rather we oppose consumerism and materialism uh, by being like god by celebrating generously by celebrating zealously and lavishly nothing is a greater testimony to a world filled with materialists than this and nothing teaches our children the great goodness of the lord in giving us all things richly to enjoy than by showing the same spirit. Well, we've all probably heard at one time or another someone say that we should focus only on spiritual things rather than material things at Christmas. Where does this non-materialistic view come from? 
Well, I think it begins with Satan in the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve far more than they needed to survive. Life is more than just surviving. And he did this to demonstrate that reality. Life means rejoicing in the riches of God's grace and favor. Uh, Satan is the one who challenges God's goodness, and he's he's done this from the beginning on. He plays both sides of the issue. He sometimes implies that God is stingy, holding back good things from us when he could have given us much more, or he implies that somehow God is unjust in distributing his gifts. It's somehow wrong that uh, he gives some more than others. And therefore, it's wrong for us to enjoy abundance when there are others who don't have as much as we do. But uh, the question is, is God unjust? Is there a reason why some people have abundance and others don't? And, And the Bible does tell us, yeah, there's a reason for it. God is just. There are many reasons for it. But among them, and one of the most uh, important ones, is that God says he curses those who turn against him, who worship idols. Nobody wants to ask this question or raise the issue, but if God is the one who makes one to prosper and another fail, why does he do it? Is it unjust? And it isn't. Uh, if you, He says, if you turn away from me, if you worship idols, then I'll cause your ground to be like iron, like brass, and your, and, and your uh, heavens to be like brass, not giving water. Your ground won't produce anything. So there's a, there's a reason why uh, wealth... And poverty is distributed as it is. It's not geographical. It's not bad luck. It's not because some people have all the natural resources, others don't. Some of the countries that have the most need have the greatest wealth in natural resources. Why don't they have clean water and sufficient food? Well, most of the time it's because of their sin in worshiping idols and the consequences of that sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we can um, shut up our compassion for them or ignore their needs or ignore the crisis that's there. God calls us to share our abundance with them, so we still are called upon to be merciful. But I don't have to feel guilty for having an abundance just because that all comes from God. God gives abundance so that we'll be able to be generous to those in need. I'm to be generous with my abundance, but I don't have to feel guilty about it. Some assert that giving gifts, especially unnecessary gifts, is opposed to the spirit of Christ's coming. Instead, we should invest our money in projects that provide goods for a greater number of people. We asked Pastor Wilkins, what are his thoughts on this way of reasoning? Well, I've got a couple of thoughts. Uh, this raises a false dilemma, first of all. Should I give to friends and family, or should I give money to projects that provide essential services for people in need? Well, my response would be, what if I can do both? If I can give to help those in need and give gifts to friends and family? Is it wrong to do both? And the answer, of course, is no. And I would say that's exactly what God does. He gives, he does both. He meets our needs and he gives uh, to all of us other things that are, that are that we can have and we can enjoy. And who says that uh, so-called unnecessary or giving unnecessary gifts are, is wrong? Uh, isn't this, again, exactly what we see God doing all the time? God gives us things that are Strictly speaking, not necessary. He gives us many things that are not necessary, if you mean by that, necessary for survival. He gives them to us simply for the purpose of increasing our joy and enjoyment in life. And and uh, this is why we have such an amazing variety around us. I, if I say rock, you think, what kind? There, there are thousands of, kind, of different kinds of rocks. If I say tree, well, what kind of tree? We don't need that many trees. One tree would be sufficient to do the work of trees, but God gives us all kinds of trees and birds and 
rainbows and sunsets and flowers. There are thousands and thousands and millions of varieties. We don't need a thousand varieties of oak trees. We don't need hundreds of uh, different strands of uh, types of apples. We don't need over 1,200 varieties of watermelons. Why this wasteful abundance? You see, if God is such, if God wants us to be so efficient and focus on what is necessary. And the answer is because God is a God who loves to lavish his people with good gifts. He supplies all our needs, and then he gives us far above all that we can ask or think, and he never worries about spending too much on us. That's what's significant. So to imply that there's something less than holy in giving so-called unnecessary gifts to our loved ones and friends is really to indict God. God does that all the time. Is he sinful in doing that? Unbelievers can be spoiled by God's abundance, but what about his people. Uh, what does his abundance make us like? Well, what it does, it makes us ashamed of being spoiled and arrogant and, and demanding and self-centered. It makes us humble. It, it, it makes us ashamed of our selfishness and our pettiness and our stinginess. So God doesn't attack consumerism and materialism by being stingy with his gifts or restricting the number of his gifts because he's afraid you'll become a selfish pig. Uh, rather, he lavishes his gifts on you so that you can learn to be like him. And furthermore, biblically, what is our responsibility toward the poor in this world as we approach this season of Christmas? Well, the scriptures again make clear we have to show forth God's mercies to them. We need to assist them in every way possible with the word and with provisions to meet their needs uh, as best we're able in accordance with God's commandments. And he places, um, he tells us where to do that. And then he places some restrictions on us. We're to give a priority to the, to the church, to the people of God. And we're not to give to those who refuse to work and there are other things, but otherwise we're to show compassion. Um, Peter Lightheart addressed this a couple of years ago and, and he, he raised the question of, is it right for Christians to make such a big deal out of Christmas? And he says, uh, I'm going to quote a little bit. He says, there are some who want us to feel guilty for the excess of our celebration. How can we be eating all this chocolate and making this great expenditure when people are hungry and lonely and vulnerable? And then there are others who say that the hungry and lonely and vulnerable are not our responsibility, so we should celebrate with a clear conscience. Besides, if someone is hungry, so goes the thinking, it's probably their own fault anyway. And Peter says, Scripture doesn't allow us either one of these positions. When it comes to Christmas or any other celebration, we have scriptural a scriptural warrant for abundant, rich, and frequent feasting. Israel is commanded to do that. They do it, and they did it with abandon. But when Israel feasted, they were not to ignore the needs of those around them. In fact, they weren't to forget the Levite and the orphan and the widow and others who had needs. They weren't to include them in their feasting. So... Uh, how are we to do it? We to do the same thing. God shares the abundance of his life with us. In Jesus, we share the abundance of our lives with one another. So we can feast with a clear conscience and look for opportunities to share our abundance with those who are in need, just like God does with us. He helps us when we were, he helped us when we were helpless. We are to help others in the same way. If Christians are being generous of their wealth, is it wrong to spend a large amount of money during Christmas? Um, if we're being good stewards with the wealth that God has given us, if we're tithing, if we're being generous and giving to others, meeting needs of others, needs of the, our friends and family as, as well as others outside the, that circle, there's certainly nothing wrong with spending money for special gifts and, and special foods and drink 
That's exactly, again, what God commands Israel to do in Deuteronomy 14. Um, It's hard to know exactly how that worked out, but Israel uh, worked on a seven-year cycle. And at least four of those years, God commanded them to bring a tithe of their produce to be used for a special celebration in Jerusalem, probably during the Feast of Tabernacles. And God says if they're to take a tithe of their sheep or their goats or their grain, whatever they produced, and take it to Jerusalem. And he says if the journey's too far, then you could sell that and exchange it for money, take the money to Jerusalem where you'd use the money to buy whatever you wanted for the celebration. He says this, you, you shall spend the money, this is verse 26 of chapter 14, you'll spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, or similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before Yahweh your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Now, what is interesting here is that the rule for determining what you obtained was not what you needed, but what you desired. You were not to be concerned about the amount. You were to purchase as much as your tithe allowed, which could have been quite a bit. We don't know what the average income of the average Israelite was, but if if we... Think of it like today, if, if you spend a tithe of your income for a celebration, that's a pretty good bit of money. That's a big celebration. And, and if somebody heard that I spent $3,000 or $4,000 or $5,000 for a meal, they might think I was a little extravagant and wasteful and charged me with all kinds of sin. But God tells Israel to do that just so they ate it before him and enjoyed it. He's happy with it. And he. what is interesting here. You would think that that had to be evil, but God says he wants Israel to do this so that they can learn to fear him. He says, I want you to do this so that you may learn to fear Yahweh your God always. So the extravagance of the celebration had its purpose to teach them to fear Yahweh. God wasn't afraid that they would become more covetous or or materialistic with the celebration. In fact, you see how this works. If, if If they do it right, then it will undermine covetousness and materialism. The covetous man doesn't have any desire to spend his money for others. He won't even spend it sometimes for himself. The materialist has no regard for the joy that he can bring to others with his wealth. So the grand celebration was to teach them to see the ugliness of covetousness and materialism, not to encourage it. Our giving is to reflect God's generosity to us. So the man who is always concerned that he's going to spend a penny more than is absolutely necessary or that he's going to give more than he needs to uh, is really some, he's really showing the opposite spirit of God. The triune God, the Savior of men doesn't think that way. He's not loving like Jesus loves, not at all. Rather, we, dis- we show forth the glory of God by being generous uh, to others and sometimes by being extravagantly generous. Uh, this may spoil unbelievers, um, but God's people are humbled by his lavish grace. We are amazed that he would give us so many things, and we're amazed that we have far above what we can ask or think, far above what we need. So rather than making, he, God, God makes Israel do this, and he's not afraid of them becoming more selfish. He wants them to be more like him, and that's the point of a, of a lavish celebration. What adjustments to Christmas must we as the church make to better reflect the gospel in both giving and receiving gifts? Well, um, I saw a response that one man made um, that I, I thought really hit the point properly. And again, let me let me kind of quote what he said or summarize what he said. He says, I, I believe the proper response to our consumer-driven Christmas is to give more, not less. 
Christmas seems overly commercial because we celebrate it too little, not too much. And he goes on to talk about how he grew up in a family that practiced extravagant giving. And he says his parents always overwhelmed them. Uh, they gave them too much. or so. He said they gave, they gave us so much we couldn't help but become givers. Uh, He said the extravagance was not simply self-indulgence. It was celebration. It was an overflow of the joy they had in raising us. And that joy continued to flow as we grew up. Our house became the center for all lost friends and souls who had nowhere to go on Christmas or any other holiday. The party kept extending outward and inviting others into a celebration. In my parents, we learned the true intoxication of giving of everything, presence, time, laughter, and life. The answer to our children's, to our culture's selfishness is not selfishness, either in miserliness or in self-righteous judgment of those around us. Rather, it's in giving even more of our life, our love, and our stuff. Once we get the hang of it, giving is so fun that you can give anything away. So, instead of pointing fingers, he says, let's extravagantly enjoy the goodness of God's creation and give ourselves into a fit of uncontrollable hilarity. Um, so, yeah, I think that really hits the point better than, um, than the message of the, of the Advent Conspiracy film. We don't need to tolerate or, or excuse or um, overlook materialism or greed or selfishness or any lack of generosity. We can condemn them with a with a whole heart, with no hesitation. But the best way to combat these things is not to make feel, people feel guilty about giving, but rather to oppose it by doing what God does, which is celebrating generously, zealously, lavishly. Now, that's the great testimony uh, to the world that, um, that we ought to show. And that way <clears throat> we can attack materialism, consumerism, um, uh, all the isms around that... Um, that cause a lot of problems in the world. When we're doing this way, we won't forget the poor. We'll, we'll be generous in giving to them as well. Our thanks to Steve Wilkins for taking the time to talk with us on today's episode. And we hope that you have enjoyed the talk and have found this to be food for thought for you as you think through your Christmas giving and receiving. The music you've heard on today's episode has been that of Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones. Also a little bit of Over the Rhine, as well as John Williams and some of his compositions. And finally, of course, the Oxford Children's Choir. Our thanks as always for you and and your support through us, through prayer, and through your interest in these topics. For Yuri Brito, I'm Jared Ritchie saying thank you so much for your listening and for your continued interest in Trinity Talk. We hope that the new year brings you a festive and joyful time of Thanksgiving and that you would again be renewed in your vigor and your passion to serve Christ and to make Him known. As always, we wish you a very Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next time.